like when he's on, like when he decides to go out and, you know, cut loose, I'm not. I'm always the driver. Like I always, sure. like we take that role very seriously. <gasps> oh, here he comes. There he is. As I, I say, he's behind there. me. Can well, I you know, because. On? Hold on. Hi. Can you hear everybody? Hello. Morning, guys. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I don't Elisa? know. No, I can't. Good morning. Maybe if I do it this way. Hold on. We're just talking about you and how beautiful your relationship is and that it's a team effort with you two. And you're not just husband and wife, you're best friends. Yeah. I mean, arguably, I have some other friends, too. I don't. <laughs> she's, definitely, she's definitely top five. She'd make your MySpace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you remember, or T-Mobile, when you, you could have your top five on your on your sidekick. You know, yeah. she would have been in that top five. She'd get a special <laughs> ring back. When I got the news that my wife was in the basement, um, watching Lee Sand on the computer, I ran down with a handful of candles and some towels. <laughs> Leave it to large. All he comes away with is cleaning out my closet. I would be fucking pissed. <laughs> I'm sorry. To, you might be able to give her something to launch her into that top three. <laughs> Welcome back to the Woman Podcast, episode 21. I'm O'Malley. My co-host, St. Anne, and I had the pleasure of talking with Lisa Ann about simplifying life, what's important, relationships, the adult industry, clean eating, and fantasy sports. Enjoy. Hey girl, come with me and Lisa Ann is talking fantasy football with you on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. Listen to Lisa Ann Does Fantasy Monday nights at 10 Eastern and Friday Night Fantasy, Fridays at 8 Eastern on Sirius 210, XM87, and streaming on the XM app. Plus, you can see Lisa Ann video on demand with the Sirius XM app by researching fantasy football. With the college and NBA seasons well underway, there's nothing a hoops player likes more than the sound of a swish. And there's nothing that a healthy body and mind needs more than the restorative antioxidant properties of Swish 30 for achieving optimal health and superior performance. A simple regimen of swishing our proprietary formula just a few times a day is enough to foster the body's production and utilization of glutathione. And published studies have shown that glutathione impacts nearly every area of health and performance. The nanonutrients are quickly absorbed and fully utilized. Recent studies have shown that increasing glutathione delays the onset and progression of fatigue, both muscularly and mentally. And both athletes and non-athletes alike using Swish 30 have reported major improvements in physical performance, stamina, and accelerated recovery. They have also reported noticeable improvements in mental focus. Swish's formulas are nutritional supplements. They have no known side effects. So make Swish 30 a part of your daily regimen today and start to feel its effects in just a few weeks. And if you go to Swish30.com right now and use promo code WOMAM, you'll get 10% off your online purchase of Swish 30. That's S-W-I-S-H-3-0.com and use promo code WOMAN for 10% off your online purchase or use the attached link on our Twitter page at WOMAMPOD. Swish 30, feel better, live better, and perform better. All at the speed of swish. Hello, hello. Oh, hey, hey, hey. 
So, you know, it's so weird with technology. It's like you get the new MacBook, right? And it's not uh-huh. compatible with your earbuds. Okay. Yeah. But, and I'm uh-huh. sorry. I don't have the uh, wireless earbuds yet. I'm so sorry. And then I get my awesome headphones, right? And I got to have the little dongle, right? But that didn't work in the computer. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just go old school and use the damn phone. So I'm on the phone. I can see you guys though. So if you need to give me a signal. That's I hysterical. Love- you can yeah. see us. Okay. Yeah, I can see you, so that that helps a bit. But like, I just, you know, you gotta, you gotta just keep trying in this world. We can't just give up. Uh, yeah, I love your outlook. I, I swear to God, sometimes I, I, so I watched all seven of your um, oh, thank hashtags. You. So yeah. I didn't realize the path that you were taking. I knew you were going through. You were doing some changes because you mentioned it very subtly. Yeah. But I can't listen to Large's show because I still have my daughter until eight thirty. Right. Right. So I go back and listen, and. You mentioned how you're going on this minimalist path and you've been following Josh and Ryan, which I started following about six months ago. Oh, I love them. By the way, are we recording right now? Uh, We we are because we never know when we're... um when we're going to drop in, like we're so okay, casual. Okay, with great. Our conversation. Just want to be sure. I always yeah. like to ask. Oh, um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I, I'll tell you what, I fell in love with Josh and Ryan's documentary and it was from you watching my series on YouTube. You understand. I went through a very dark time in 2015 and it was pivotal in my life. And it was probably very needed because it was the most grounding, humbling, just, just scarring situation, but it allowed me to just be still. And so when I watched their documentary for the first time, I don't know if you've watched it yet, but I ended up bawling at the end because they end the documentary with use people, love, um, love people, use things. Yeah. And that basic statement, then I went and watched every one of their like Ted talks and YouTube and I read their books. And here's the thing. When you look at such a simple statement, use things, right? Not people love people. So many people use people to get more things. And that's the common way. It's not wrong. It's what we all do. It's what we've been raised to do in America. It's the American dream to have a ton of stuff. But as they said it, I just realized that's where I fit. And that's not for everybody, but that's where I fit. And that's who I want to be. I loved it because you, you hit the nail on the head when you were saying you were going through Italy and you're like, I have these bags, these yeah. two giant suitcases bags. with me, but there are stores everywhere. And I was so embarrassed because I was like, every time I check into a hotel, everyone would look at me like, oh, she's American, you know? And really I didn't need, I wanted to move every two, three days. I wanted to be light. And I really learned a lot on a one month trip in a country where there was a language barrier. I stood out as an American, Um, but you're lugging things and, you know, you realize that it just makes your life slower. You're 100% correct. We're, so we're on, we, I decided to do that thing where I kept saying to my husband, like, I'm going to, I want to do this. I want to downsize. I want to, I really want to become practice this minimalist lifestyle because this move that we're making is my 22nd address. Cause I've, okay. I, my dad and I moved everywhere and I've okay. always lived out of apartments and out of a suitcase. So now, you know, having kids, you just have all this crap everywhere. So he looked at me, he's like, Oh yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Okay, good. And then he came home to a for sale sign. <laughs> So oh my gosh. Like you go through those I went through every room and I I honest to god 75% I would have loved to have reached. Well, but, but I you say, know what? I didn't do it in a hurry. I just want to say this. You know, the reason I said to everyone this was a 4 to 5 year plan. My goal was 2020 was because I didn't want to stop my life. You're busy. You have a family. You have events. You have so many things to do. You guys have this podcast. You have a lot going on. So I said to myself, 
if I could just do this incrementally and I could make it fun because we all know people that need things. We know people that are growing their life and having children and moving into a bigger house. Mm -hmm. And the ironic thing is over the last three to four years, I pretty much reconnected with everybody I've ever met in California because they came and got something that I no longer needed. I love that. When you said that, like, you're like, my neighbor has my plant and I know part of me is growing with them. It's, isn't that wonderful? Don't you, like I gave my place at that, that jungle gym from the backyard away because I didn't want it to get ruined. Right. They just don't go on it anymore. Like the kids just like, they'd lose interest. And I didn't want it to just rot in the backyard. The family that took it were the nicest people. Like the little girl was so excited. It's such a good feeling. And it's how we can repurpose items. You know, we're living in a world where we're so worried about trash consuming us. Well, instead of just disposing of your things, think about it. You know, I don't know if you've yet gotten into Marie Kondo. No. Uh, okay, Marie Kondo, you, you, you'll fall in on Netflix. I'm telling both of you, fall in. Uh, she <laughs> talks about joy and things bring you joy. So instead of feeling guilty when you're getting rid of something, you look at it, you thank it. You know, it's already served its purpose that mm -hmm. that gym set already served you and your kids, your family purpose. And then you think about who else it can bring joy and to see that joy on that little girl's face really emphasized to you that you were doing the right thing. You were sharing something you no longer needed that someone else could enjoy. It's, just, it's exactly how I feel. That's exactly what I've been going through for like the last for the last year. And and I'm thankful that Mike is so accommodating because he knows my quirks and he knows how when I get on a, on a kick, I stick with it until I, I'm done with it. Uh -huh. So the fact that you were on a five-year plan, first of all, congratulations on doing it a month early. Thank, <laughs> you. Thank you. That has to be such a, like a, you must look in the mirror and be like, yes, right? It, it's, it's absolutely shocking. But at the same time, you know, I made it so rhythmic. I made it so fun. Um, I, I just feel so much lighter and I feel more free. I feel like I can take a book to the park when it's nice out and read for an afternoon. And no one needs to know about it because I'm not grinding. I don't have to be grinding anymore. Yeah, I can't wait to, I mean, I'm not, I shouldn't say I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that. Like I, I have so much fun taking everybody everywhere and shuttling everybody around. I don't want them to grow so fast because I don't want to rush their childhoods and stuff, but I'm looking forward to reaching that. And you know, with your kitchen. There. I'm sorry? With your kitchen, you realize like it becomes hard to put things away because mm -hmm. we have yes. so much extra stuff. So when I went through my kitchen, I decided to use, to take a cabinet and empty it. And only put things back in it that I use regularly. So I use my Instapot regularly. I eat a lot of eggs because I'm a vegetarian, but I eat eggs. So oh. I eat about 18 to 24 eggs a week, right? So I have all these different ways that I make eggs. And I have all these little contraptions for either the microwave or the stove. And so I realized, okay, you use those a lot. I use bowls a lot I make a lot of salads. So by the time I filled that cabinet, and then I only started to work out of that one cabinet. It really helped me say, okay, yeah, you have all these, you know, these baking things. Like I, when I was married, I baked for my husband every day. He loved cupcakes. He loved cookies. So I had the KitchenAid mixer. I had all these things. Well, I realized my neighbor, you know, she takes care of her grandchildren a lot and they love to bake. So I just knocked on her door one day and was like, hey, you know, I know you bake a lot. Do you have any of these items? Do you need them? And she was so excited and then I didn't even have to drive them to Goodwill I just walked them across the hall it was great that's a great feel I love that it's true I have to do that like when we finally do move I'm gonna need somebody to come in and set my kitchen up normally because everything I do is backwards <laughs> like you know if, like sometimes if my 
mom is here, my mother-in-law is here. I'll actually ask one of them, where, if you were a spatula, if you had my spatula, where would you put it? Because if I can't find it, because I have no idea where it went. Right. I'll want to know where they logically would have put it, because I know that's where Michael will put it. <laughs> like, I just, you would think that I would know this stuff by now, but I'm just so backwards. I don't have any direction. I have no organization skills whatsoever. This is the most Annie comment that she's made <laughs> ever. <laughs> Like, I'll call them and I'll ask them, like, where, where's this? And they'll be like, all right, if you're looking at this. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny because I'll walk into friends' houses and I'll say, why are your coffee mugs not above your coffee pot? Coffee I don't mug. understand. Yeah. <laughs> that would be me. So when you get a phone call from me at nine o'clock at night saying, Lisa, if you were to put this away, where would you put it? <laughs> You're going to be like, oh, I know where she's going with this. I mean, I'll volunteer my time because now oh, that I've done it, come over and do I it. <laughs> will so enjoy doing it for other people because now that I actually understand the process, like, you know, it's funny. I had a toaster for years. I don't buy bread at home. If I'm going to eat toast, it's going to be out at a restaurant because it's a once in a while thing. You know, when you're mm-hmm. a single person, you buy a loaf of bread, really, you're going to eat a whole loaf of bread. You're going to waste it. And I don't eat a lot of bread. So I save those things for when you go out to breakfast with friends. So I looked at my toaster. I'm like, yeah, why do you have a toaster? Because you have space for it. Like if you got rid of it, what else could go there? Oh, it could be empty. And it got to the point where it was so easy to put things away in my kitchen. Nothing was stacked on top of each other. I can't wait to be there. Oh, it felt amazing. Amazing. I really, I can't wait to be there. And I think my family thought I was nuts. I think they were like, oh yeah, she's saying this. Until they came home and saw that, you know, my son's like, where do all my trophies go? I'm like, they're nicely stored in a plastic container in the top of your closet where you can see them all. Instead of being behind stuff and just moved around and, you know, shoved somewhere. You might like the minimalism mom. I'm not a mom, but I love her. So I watch her on YouTube. There's a ton of different minimalist women I watch and men on YouTube, but she's great because she gets her kids involved and she makes it a fun project. So I think the way that she does it, and she also admits that she's not an organized person, that minimalism is easier for people who are automatically organized, but she's like, how do the rest of us get there? So I like her approach uh, because she's honest. She's honest that she just needs to minimize stuff. So it helps her be more organized, but she's not naturally an organized person. Yeah, I have to learn that. I think once I learn it, then I'll be able to live that way. I had to laugh in one in, in your Studio City video. I don't know if yes. you realize this or not. You had to because you're you're super observant. But like like almost three minutes in, you're standing in front of like the FedEx thing, talking about how they gave you those giant yes. cards. Did you, and you're talking about how you you know you're cutting back things and and you're trying to go paperless. And did you notice the guy behind you had like 15 giant bags packed to the brim? Well, that's the Los Angeles homeless situation. The homeless oh. people now own more things than I do. They carry so much with them. I'm like, doesn't it make your life harder when you're constantly moving to have all of this stuff? But. I guess in their mindset, I, I visualize that they feel it's all they have. So it has to stay with them at all times. But it's a, it's an issue. It's a big oh, issue definitely. in California. They probably, they probably barter too. They probably use it to trade yeah. for things. But yeah. I mean, unless like, you know, they're lucky they're in a warm climate. Otherwise, someone like de Blasio, apparently he's just buying people one-way tickets and shipping them to North Carolina and New Jersey. Yeah. And you know that? I, I, I've known this has been going on in New York City since Giuliani started many, many years ago. And here's where it does have it has pros and cons. And I understand people are only seeing it one way. 
But the fact that they are going to move into a climate that is more affordable and that the potential work is there because what they're doing is they're fine cities that need minimum wage workers. When there's less traffic and less ability for them to beg and less uh, risk for the population in New York City, you know, these people then get a box knife and start slashing people in the face. What they're trying to do is recreate like, hey, here's your fresh start. It's like a fresh start initiative. You're you're an optimist. I love that. I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist with it because California is doing nothing. And sadly, a lot of these fires that are starting right now are from encampments, homeless encampments, living in the woods and living on the ground cooking. And that Bel Air fire last year where these were like, you know, no houses less than $15 million. That was started by homeless and their insurance. You know, you can't get help from your insurance in a crisis like that. No, that's scary. That is super yeah. scary. Uh, really, it was. Um, it's a it's a sad event when when you can't take care of your own that way. And you know, we also are struggling with so many understandings, right? You know, I volunteered a bit, and I also started really donate to the shelters because I became friendly with my cops. Because something you guys don't know, two years into this minimalist project. I really wanted to understand the value of my property. So I decided to get into the running and I ran for president of my HOA. Good for you. And I was president for two years. And in those two yes. years, I learned a lot. Like, listen, people, people tell me I'm crazy for being on the board of this and being on this. But if you want to learn about it, you got to get involved. So I get on the board and I understand how we'd been mismanaging the money. I also understood that there were some people that weren't paying their dues and nobody was collecting. So I paid <sighs> hard and I collected about 15000 in past dues. Okay? Yes, look at you. And I love that. I raised enough money to get a new roof on the building, which is something that I wanted to be able to show to a new owner. And that new roof got put on two weeks before I listed my home for sale. Wow. Wow. Good and for so you. That, and then that right was before important. they raised the dues. <laughs> well, yes. And, and I also removed myself from the board at that point. After I, after I got the money straight, after I saw the potential, after I realized where we'd been lacking, I said, I'm going to step down now. Let's get the roof done because I'm going to list for sale. The management then started to mismanage the money again. And when we went to go get the roof last minute, they hit us all for another $5,000 assessment. I probably paid between five and 10,000 a year in assessments since 2005, which really adds up, right? Yeah. And it's because of mismanaging money, but being on the board taught me a ton and it also got me really close with the local police. So when we would have homeless starting to live in our underground parking, when it was raining, I would, you know, reach out to neighbors because we have a neighbor who their 10 year old daughter would walk their dogs early in the morning. Yeah, so I would, one. right. So she would go at six 30. So I would get up every day and make sure I was out there by five 30 so that I could wake her mom up and let her know whether it was safe for her to walk out there or not. Look at your, where does this come from? Like, are, are you, are you, a, what, like, where does this groundedness in this come from? Pennsylvania. <laughs> and one woman, uh, her name was Peggy. She was my neighbor. She lived to be almost 102 years old wow. and she shaped me as who I am. And she was the best person I've, I'll ever have in my life. And she gave me all of this. And also I will say my dad's mom, because my dad's mom did something interesting every night after dinner, she put all of our leftover food outside. So Whoever couldn't eat could come to her porch and take food and they'd bring the plates back. And she looked at me and she said, we'll never be poor enough to not have food, but you always want to feed those around you. And so I think those two women in my life and their, and their endless kindness and their endless empathy and their lack of greed, um, 
changed me. And luckily through all I've been through, it stayed with me. And I want to really always be active with that. So when I became close to the police, I started to donate and started to drop food at the shelters. And I realized they're empty. I would say to the cops, why do we have so many shelters in Los Angeles that are empty? And they said, because we search their bags and they don't want to give up their weapons and their drugs. So they don't want to come in. Mm-hmm. And that's where I realized, okay, this is a crisis that we're not handling properly, at least in New York. You know, if you volunteer for New York cares, you can go out in the middle of the night and feed the homeless. And also once it goes below 35 degrees, they pick them up in a van and they make them go inside yes, because they don't I've want them to freeze. Yeah. yeah. But I don't, I kind of don't blame these people because that's their defense. Nobody is going to give up their defenses. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's not their vices also. I, I totally get that. But like a lot of times they, they have this, if they give that stuff up, then they're giving up their edge. And I think yeah. that's what protects them. But I worry about the young kids walking home from school that only have a three block oh, walk, but have to pass them. And they're all sitting there with drugs and weapons. That's who I worry about. I yeah. worry about the youth. I don't have kids, but I worry about everybody's kids more than you would ever know. Hmm. That's, 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 it's, it's incredible. Like to listen to your insight is just so, so now when you made this change, were you always a vegan? When did you change? No, this was part of when I sat still and watched all of these documentaries, I decided to put myself through an experiment and I had been dealing with, you know, colds and getting sick and little things. And I said, well, let me, let me try this. I had a really bad cold. I watched a bunch of documentaries, you know, what the health, all of these other things. And I said, let's try it for six months let's see how you feel. You know, this isn't really an animal thing because growing up in Pennsylvania, you know, we, we, we took in a deer every year because if you don't, we understand the roads get overwhelmed with deer and we always had our deer meat and everyone had a deer hanging from their tree. Um, You're from Mr. Rogers country. Wasn't he the one who said, you know, Oh, I couldn't imagine eating something with a mother. No, we did. We, we, we didn't, we didn't grow up that way. And as a matter of fact, my dad had no problem as a young girl giving me a shotgun to kill the animals that were eating his garden and his farm stuff. So, um, yeah, a great I, shot. I am now. Yeah. When <laughs> you shoot a couple groundhogs and skunks, you're like, all right, you know, this is great. <laughs> I was 10, you know? Um, so I tried it and I realized what I loved about it was now it is much harder if you don't work from home and if you don't have access to being home a lot. But I realized how when you're eating vegetarian, everything you have goes together. It's a very inexpensive way to eat. I started enjoying going to a local farmer's market and getting to know the people I was buying my dried fruit from, my nuts, all of my, my fruit, my eggs from a local dairy farmer. And I realized I was getting more in touch with where my vegetables were coming from. And it gave me that feeling of Pennsylvania. We grew all of our own vegetables. We froze them all over the winter. I never had anything from a can. Uh, I would go to school and look at vegetables and be like, ew, I'm not eating that. That was in a can. So I I love the connection that I got. And after those six months, I realized my skin cleared up. I have psoriasis. It's something I've suffered from, you know, my entire life. I realized, wow, I have no issues with psoriasis. I've needed to get out. Really? None. None. Wow. So now does it help you in every area? Like, is your, is your, like, do you every feel? Every area. That's awesome. My husband's going to be like, every area? I'll tell you the, the, <laughs> the, change your thing, diet. <laughs> the thing that shocked me the most was my mental clarity. So what I didn't realize was when you're eating more processed foods and when you're eating meats that have maybe a little bit of antibiotics because our labeling is so, is so mischievous, right? You know, whether it's cage free, they open the cage for five minutes. And what I, I started to reach out to other bloggers and ask like, 
why do I feel so much more patient? Like, why do I feel so much more calm? Why is my head in such a better space? They said, oh, well, you're, you're chemical free. Um, and that's creating your body to have better balance. And I was like, whoa, this is like the greatest side effect ever. This isn't about being thinner. This isn't about looking better. This is like, whoa, I feel mentally great. I'm sleeping well. I'm waking up well. I'm not having crazy dreams. I just couldn't see a reason to go back. So you so don't I'm drink coffee with it. either? You're not a coffee I tea drinker no, either? I'm drinking coffee right now. Oh, I good. do drink coffee. She's normal. <laughs> She's like me. <laughs> I, have, I, I can do this. <laughs> I, I, and, I, and you know what? I, I love, you know, I, I'll, I'll go out to eat with friends and I'll have dessert because I feel like if you eat clean at home, when you go out, you can enjoy yourself and live a little. Right. Like your cheat day. Do you drink yeah. it? Like a, once you in a while. I, I kind of gave up hard alcohol. I didn't drink at all for two years. When I went through that, that time in 2015 and my life was turned upside down. I had to go to court in multiple cases. I was, I dealt with death threats for about six months. My life was yeah, just turned you say upside that down. Last night. Yeah. That's yeah. My, my new year's Eve started and I'll tell you a funny story. My new year's Eve started with my first death threat. Uh, what the person did was they pinged my home phone number to ring on my cell phone and said they were upstairs coming downstairs to kill me. Oh my God. Like I, stranger calls. Yeah. And, 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 and to know the floor plan of my house and to have my home phone call my cell phone. And I had just had surgery. Um, I had my breast reduced due to the fact that I had dealt with, I had a, I had a lump I had to have removed. It was non-cancerous, which oh, was great, God. but it's always a scary situation. And so 100%. here I was on pain meds and this is happening and I'm like stuck on my couch. And, and luckily I had a friend there taking care of me, but you don't want a friend at your house when you're getting death threats. So no. I did the right thing. I, I turned on my, I hit the panic on my alarm. I put us both in front of the cameras. I grabbed a knife and I waited for the cops to come. They were there in like three minutes, New Year's Eve. There's nothing going on, I guess. And it was a bunch of really young cops, about six to eight of them. And I had four floors. So they charged in my house, guns drawn, yelling on the, on the thing. They kept us outside asking questions. And I totally forgot that I had a life-size Shaquille O'Neal cardboard cutout in my basement, right? So what you don't realize is they don't turn the lights on when they're searching your house, right? They just use a flashlight. So now, like 22, 23-year-old cops, you know, five, seven, five, eight, see this life-size Shaquille O'Neal cardboard cutout, right? And they yell, is anybody supposed to be in the downstairs? And all of a sudden it hits me and I'm like, don't shoot Shaquille O'Neal. It's a cardboard cutout. Oh, that is and so funny. <laughs> may he rest in peace because we folded him up that night collectively and put him in the dumpster to avoid such chaos because that would have shot right through my neighbor's basement. But oh that was the icebreaker in the situation. And so when I went through that time, I realized a lot of things. I cannot have alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. Uh, I got rid of, I had a little bar set up in my house. I took a photo of it. I knew it matched one of my friend's homes. And I knew when he saw it, he liked it. And I said, yo, I need you to pick this up along with all the glasses and all the alcohol. Uh, because the last thing I want to do is fall into that right now. Right. Cause I was only going to make things worse. Yeah. So as I, as I didn't drink for those two years and then starting to eat vegetarian, when I did go back to drinking, I realized, whoa, it affects you so much more. So now I just stick with like one glass of wine. If I'm on a flight and I want to get a good night's sleep, one glass of wine will knock me out. I mean, I'll sleep the whole flight. So I'm a lightweight now. I'm not opposed to drinking. I have nothing against it. 
I'm a little bit afraid to drink in public. And I think it's a perfect segue uh, for both of you to understand from the questions that you may have received. Mm. I'm, I'm very trust. uh, I don't have a lot of trust for strangers and my safety. So I decided that I was no longer going to drink in public. Smart. I I totally get that. I mean, self-preservation is number one and that's, that definitely, you know, to keep yourself in control is the best way to do it. So I I totally Mm -hmm. agree. And I don't usually, um, it's funny. I don't let my hair down as much when I'm not with my husband. Like he's so much more, like I kind of use him as my crutch. So I I totally Oh my gosh. When I was married, I had the best times doing that too, because you know, you got your guy with you and you're totally, you're, you're, everything's going to be okay. Your guy is with you. And also people see your guy is with you. So you're less at risk, right? So move on Mm. to somebody else. So I know that feeling and I love that feeling. And I think it goes, I do think it goes both ways. Cause a lot, cause he'll, he takes me, we like to go everywhere together. We're one of those weird people, couples that like do everything together. And I know it's weird. Like, You're beautiful. Oh, I appreciate that. Cause a lot of people don't get it. And you know, we'll, we, we've always got, even before he took the job at Barstow, we got a lot of comments for that, but we just really do it. It's just, it just works for us. That's just our thing. It's always been our thing. And, um, like when he's on, like when he decides to go out and, you know, cut loose. I'm not, I'm always the driver. Like I always, sure. like, we take that role very seriously. <gasps> oh, here he comes. There he is. As I, I say, he's behind there. me. Well, you know, because, hold on. hi, can you hear everybody? Hello. Morning, guys. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I don't know. No, I can't. Good morning. Maybe if I do it this way, hold on. We're just talking about you and how beautiful your relationship is and that it's a team effort with you two. And you're not just husband and wife, you're best friends. Yeah, I mean, arguably, I have some other friends too. I don't. She's definitely, she's definitely top five. She make your MySpace. Remember, or T-Mobile when you could have your top five on your on your sidekicks. You know, yep. she would have been in that top five. She'd get a special <laughs> ring back. When I got the news that my wife was in the basement um, watching Lisa Ann on the computer, I ran down with a handful of candles and some towels. <laughs> Leave it to large. (laughs) (laughs) Comes away with this cleaning out my closet. I would be fucking pissed. (laughs) I'm sorry. You might be able to give her something to launch her into that top three. (laughs) I'll let you get to it. Have a great day, guys. Have a great day. (laughs) Yeah, there was something that was said earlier, and I, um, I wanted to uh, bring up the buy nothing. I think it's what they call it, but I'm sure there's, you know, different types, but they set up either in your town or if your town's really big, like in a borough, or um, maybe if your towns are small, then they group up a few. It's just a site that like, I think they utilize even Facebook um, a lot. Yep. People post like, I have this, I don't yes. need this. And yes. somebody else has posted, I am looking for this. And it, yes. and it, and it really does help with the minimal um, list, you know, type of living and not having to go buy more stuff um, yeah. just to have, because it's like a, dating got a neighbor app. with like three of them <laughs> sitting in their basement. And it's, yeah, it's like, like a dating app for stuff, right? Yeah. It's like a dating app. It matches the people perfectly. Like, you know, one, a couple that a friend of mine knows was just moving to California with their kids. And so they drove cross country and they had very little things. So the timing was perfect. And I said, well, whatever doesn't go, they can have. And on the very last weekend before my move, 
they came with a flatbed truck and they got a dining room table. They got a couch, they got a bed and they were, and they got curtains and they were just so excited. And I was so excited. It was the perfect fit. So those are ideal. And, you know, you can be very specific, like clothes that I knew were good. I took to centers where they help reform women who are recently out of trouble or about bad relationship and helping them get jobs. So like good blouses, good pants, good shoes. I do that too. I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Cause you're getting your good stuff somewhere good. And then other things I took, like I had a bunch of additional Christmas stuff I didn't need that I accumulated over the years. I limited it down to one box. I had five. I took that to my local church because that's a great place. They, you know, you just leave it out in front of the church. And on Sundays, people come in and take whatever they want. So I just was, I had fun deciding what was going to go where. I bet. Right. Cause it, it's, it, you really do get that inner sense of like victory, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that you do that. Do you bring a lot of stuff to consignment shops too? Cause I'm sure people, cause you have, I'm sure you have like a, like a stunning wardrobe. I did do that for, that was kind of the first step. You are right. I did do some consignment stuff, shop stuff. Um, and I also did stuff where, you know, I have a lot of girlfriends in the business that are still in the business. And if I've already worn it, I, I will, I'm willing to let something go to help somebody out. I'm still close with quite a few of the agents. So I would reach out to them and say, Hey, I'm going to bring over a bag of dresses from ABN and buy a bag of this, you know, let your girls go through it. Um, it just to help people out. Cause I know how expensive it is when girls first get into business and they need so many things for appearances. So I tried to minimize it in a sense where it didn't have a lot of extra work and things that were valuable. Yeah. I took a couple handbags to consignment things that I was like, why do I have this many purses? Like this is ridiculous, <laughs> you know, stuff that's good Gucci bags. I'm like, yeah. yeah, they may have been gifts that fans had bought me, but they still have some value. So my theory was if it was a gift and I didn't pay for it, the money that I made had to go to something else. Right. Cause I shouldn't profit off of a gift. So that would go to a charity uh, or that would go to a friend that needed something. I'd buy somebody something else with it. So I, I really did enjoy the process. That's great. I mean, I mean, like you say stuff like that and it like, like it makes me want to go upstairs and, and like do that like right now. <laughs> you know, like that's like a, that's therapy for me. Here I'll tell you much. another, here's another quick <laughs> trip. When you're going on vacation, you're going on trips. Something I learned when I was going through this process from a minimalist uh, YouTuber was you know, I had like some t-shirts or some clothes that you don't love. Um, I would just wear them and, and leave them on the way like socks. I was like, okay, these are my five least favorite pair of socks. So I'm just going to take them and just toss them on my way out. So I don't have to carry a bunch of dirty laundry with me on my trip. I do that too. Like sometimes I'll do that with, I mean, not that anybody is like, it's kind of gross, but like underwear, like I will mm-hmm. wash, like after I wear them, I'll wash them in the sink in, in like yep. a hotel and then I'll toss them. Yeah, I yep. can't throw out underwear that's dirty. It's just it's a pet peeve of mine. I don't know if anybody I else can. I can't do it because I'm always afraid. Like I won't. I don't believe in like the ancestry.com because I don't want my DNA anywhere. So oh, I'll wash either. everything and then I throw it out. My kids think I'm crazy, but you know, I just don't want anybody. <laughs> not that anybody's rifling through my garbage, but I just am always afraid to throw any kind of underwear out that's dirty. But like in a hotel, if I have underwear that I just don't want anymore. I'll wear it. I'll wash it. And then I'll just throw it out and it won't come home with me. (laughs) Is that nuts? (laughs) No, none of this is nuts. (laughs) Cause I do like these little quirky things. Like I'll watch an episode of hoarders to get myself centered and, and then I'll tackle something because I got to make sure that I have that clarity in my head. Like, all right, this is not where I want to be. This is not who I am. And 
you know, I, I don't know. I I'll watch that or I'll keep repeating, you know, the 30 for 30 rule, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it works. It yeah. works. I won't yeah. buy it if I happen to have seen it and said, the first thing I said was, Oh, how cute is this? I refuse. I'm not allowed to buy it. That's like a, like a, and I started the, is this a want or a need thing? So I yes. would look at something. Is this a want? Now I also put myself on a spending freeze for a year. I did not. And I wrote about this. So in my next book, there's going to be a detailed journey of this, but I did not allow myself to buy anything for one full year because mind you, I had spent money for years. So I had tons of stuff. Um, and when that year was up, the very first thing I went and bought was gym clothes. And that was it because I realized I wear my gym clothes every day. So they were actually worn out. But the weird thing was when I went to the mall to buy those gym clothes, I was not tempted to buy anything else. I just wanted to buy one set of gym clothes at a time. And it felt so freeing because I was the person that would go in and spend hours and walk out with bags of things. And, and I wasn't tempted. I really realized how many beautiful things I already had. Wow. Wow. That is, that is amazing. I'm like the, I'm kind of the opposite. I have probably a problem actually going shopping. I've, I think I've used a reusable grocery bag for a purse a few times this year just because <laughs> <laughs> I've just been like oh I need so you have your vices you like and your Star all, Wars and your and your they're usually stuff, and they're usually gift. Stuff. yeah they're usually gifts which has been nice just because people don't know what to give me because I'm so like so strange they'll just be like we got you something Star Wars we hope you like it and like it sticks so um yeah I can't I've never bought a designer bag ever. I've just, I've never had one. I mean, like I've had one that was used that was passed down, but the handle uh, was so bad to hold. Like I hurt my hand and I was like, why do (laughs) I just couldn't, I can't figure it out. I bought myself my very first designer bag in Italy. I wanted to buy a Gucci bag, a little Gucci bag in Italy. And that was the one thing I bought myself on the trip. And that was you know, I was already, what, 46, 45 years old when I went there. Um, and that was the very first time. And it was, you know, in Italy, they're so much cheaper than in America, right? So I was like, mm-hmm. if you're going to do this for yourself, do it there because it has purpose. This is where they're made. And I still carry that bag every day. And because of that bag, I get rid of all of my other bags. But I would buy not expensive bags. I was never one of the girls that bought, you know, a ton of expensive sunglasses, a ton of expensive bags. I don't own Louboutins. Um, it's just not my thing. I don't feel that I'm in that bracket of life. And I also just don't find it necessary. It doesn't bring me that much joy. It actually stresses me out to have something that's too valuable because you worry about it too much. Yeah. So what is your vice? Like what, what is your, like when you have, like when you look in your room and you see that you've downsized 75% and you bought the one bag that you bought in Italy, because I, I, I totally, me, I probably, that's a vice for me. Shoes and handbags are just, it's a weakness for me. So what's your weakness? Um, Really definitely experiences. You know, I just finished uh, the entire U.S. Alaska was my last state and I conquered it this year. Get out. That's Uh, awesome. Yep. 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 And I got to ski in Alaska, which was incredible. And, you know, I make sure I take a lot of photos to go through to remind me to continue my journeys. Right. And to me, I also came back from Italy and it was the greatest thing. Uh, The mean customs agent at LAX looked at my passport and he took his hole puncher and he punched a hole in it. He said, your passport is invalid. And I looked at him and I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, there's no pages left. And I looked at him and I said, do you know what an accomplishment that is? Like, 
I get it. I filled this passport and I can't use it again. I have to go get a new passport. But at the end of the day, this is the greatest day of my life because I filled a passport guys. And most of those trips were trips where a company sent me to do an event. And then I stayed longer to, to be a tourist and, and, you know, to be, to, you know, from Pennsylvania to be able to get people to pay for me to go to Australia and to go to Finland and to go to France and I never took it for granted. I always thought this is the most awesome thing ever. So in my new place, I'm taking that passport and I'm slicing it and scanning it. And I'm going to blow it up over a canvas. And that's going to be above my couch is my stamped passport. That's cool. Like one of those. I love those. I was going to say, what art, how are you going to turn this into something that's going to be meaningful? And you just answered it. So like, I have all these questions and then you like go and answer it. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So now do you travel alone? Uh, sometimes I take security with me. Sometimes I meet security there. I sometimes travel with friends. Like I have made so many friends through my journey that I'll reach out to somebody and say, Hey, I'll pay for your trip. If you take social media photos of me, uh, let's go skiing. And it works because I have a lot of younger people in my life who maybe can't do the things that they want to do. And for me, it works out. It's a win-win. I have a little bit of security. I have a buddy with me. We have a great time. We bond and I can still write it off as a, as a trip because it's for my social media and all the things that I'm doing. And so that I found that that really works. I'll hire off duty cops when I go to events uh, and meet them in the city, but I love to travel alone. And I know, it's not safe. And I know I shouldn't always do it, but I love to travel alone. You meet people, you're engaged, Definitely. you watch people, you I know, but. That. And hiring the person gives you that independence of having to feel like they're your companion. Like yes. knowing that they're on the books, it's like, okay, if I want to go somewhere alone, like you, you can have that. It's like that unspoken idea. Like, like all right. I did my month in Italy alone. I you know, credit. I, That's I, big. I was going to ask you when you started that, what was that after your, um, when you did yes. the speech? So did you yes. parlay? I don't want to say parlay, like you like used it, but like it was something that you went over there and you did your, you know, no, your I did. Program. London was London was this year and Italy okay. was the year before. So they were oh, two okay. separate trips and the London trip, you know, getting to speak at the Oxford union was one thing, but when they told me that Dr. Ruth was on the docket, oh, I love me, her. I pretty much lost my mind. The fact that I got to have dinner with Dr. Ruth, I told her at dinner that night, I said, I've peaked. There's nothing more that could be this exciting. Uh, She's the neatest woman. She wrote her home phone number down on a, on a cocktail napkin for me. Um, And it was, it was a great experience because I got to share things with her that she was not really aware of. And, and one of the things that I went there for, and one of the things that I want to travel country to country to, to really talk about is, We've lost control of the fact that adult content is no different than cigarettes and alcohol. There was a time where you had to be carded to get it. There was a time you had to prove that you were 18 to see adult content to get cigarettes, to get alcohol 21, right? So when I see that now with these tube sites and when I see what we're doing, we're allowing access to content that is not understood by the mind that is viewing it. 100%. And And what I had to prove to Dr. Ruth was, we're also creating content that is so over the top unnecessary that it should be incredibly guarded. And it should be like in a regular movie, we get PG, we get PG 13, we get rated R, but in adult content, this stuff is free and kids are seeing things that are violent. And I know you notice it and I'm watching and I save every story, but we're seeing more strangulation deaths during sex in the United States than we've ever seen. And 
we just had one Halloween in New Jersey. Boy strangled a girl and she died in the car and he took pictures and put it on Snapchat before he called the cops. And he said she wanted it rough. Well, we're never going to get to hear her, her answer to that. But he saw that in a movie. She saw that in the movie. They're seeing this stuff without understanding. So my, my, my focus is really educating those that are older to understand what's out there now for the younger audience and how we can protect and guide them. I'm, all, I, I'm sorry, it took me a delay to respond, but it, I'm, I'm so riveted by what you're saying because I think it's, um, <clears throat> you hit the nail on the head and you, like, you prefaced it with saying, Adult, like you use the word adult. And right. I watched you in front of that panel in London. And um, I actually rewound it. I was watching it in front of the high school and I rewound it a couple of times because I thought maybe I was miss, like I was just being a little bit too nitpicky. But I noticed the room was full of adults. Yes. And there were a lot of people when you were using terms and words that they're not comfortable with were squirming and they were like, yes. you know, there was some snickering. And I'm thinking, you're adults. Yes. They were young adults and they were snickering. And then she even made a comment. Lisa even made a yeah. comment about the fact that we talk about these things and you become uncomfortable. So you laugh. Mm-hmm. Right. But like if you're in a, like adults should be watching this and that, and like they made her point for her. Like if you, like, mm-hmm. it's not something that should just be out there for everybody to sit for everybody to see you should, there should be a level of protection. Like when Dr. Ruth was on, She's one of my favorites. I used to listen to her all the time when I was me too. And I would stay up late and I would like, she was like, I don't remember which radio station it was, but when she came to do her book signing here in town, um, I brought two of my three kids with me because I wanted them to meet her because she was just, because she always made it about emotion. She always made it about that. It was like, it was a very, it was, it was it was a very physical experience, but it had to be an emotional one as well. Like she yes. always would, she would always be very, very deliberate with her words, but it always had a sense of emotion to it. And, and love. And, and love. And being raised by a single father, you don't get that, like, that, like that female yes. uh, influence. Like my, yes. I mean, my, I'm, I, I talked to my mom, I love my mom, but being raised by a dad, you, it's very, um, sterile. Like, you know, like he never wanted to cross boundaries. Like he would always use technical terms and it was always very like, you're good. Okay. okay, We're good. But you like to hear her voice and have a woman telling you this stuff was so, it made such an impact on me. And so I wanted my kids to meet her and she always made it like it was okay to talk about. So I never get squeamish when you around sex talk or I don't get uncomfortable around it. And if someone prefers to do, you know, this or that, that doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't get, I don't get uncomfortable around stuff like that. So to meet her was, was huge. But when I watched you on that panel speaking to these people and they're there, they know what you're going to speak to them about. It's not like they just walked in and said, Oh, let's, let's watch this for the next 20 minutes. They knew what you were going to present to them. And they were themselves uncomfortable. And that is exactly your point to them. Like, that's what's free to a 10-year-old. And we were voting that night on whether they should enforce an 18 and up, which would be facial recognition in England, which is something that Theresa May was working on. And uh, when we walk in, they're like, no, we think porn should be accessible to all ages. We think this, would you believe that by the time I finished my speech and I talked with all of them after I, my team beat Dr. Ruth's team by almost a hundred points. It was a landslide because I expressed 
the, the inside out and they realized, yeah, probably I wouldn't want my nephew to see this, my niece to see this. I wouldn't want this type of violence in their mindset at such a young age. You're right. And so it was great because afterwards I stood and I took a photo with every one of them and had a little talk. And would you believe I collected a good 50 emails and so many of them have kept in touch with me. And you know, I, I really express them like, Hey, what I'm talking to you about is if you took more time to get to engage and have experiences on your own, you wouldn't be so judgmental of yourself. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't be thinking that it was supposed to be different than it is. It's not going to be great your first couple of times because you're not supposed to know what's going on yet. And it shouldn't be like it is in a movie because, again, we're stunt people. We're making it look like it's better than it is. <laughs> we're using trick photography. We're using trick camera lenses. And after that, they all kind of hugged me and were like, I see this completely differently now because of you. And it really wasn't. It was so powerful for me. I remember sitting in my hotel that night just thinking like, I'm so proud that I take experiences like this because these are events you don't get paid for. Um, these are things that I just do because I want to. And that was one of the things with minimalism was me saying, if you don't have to work as much, you can offer your time and your insights for free more often. That's incredible. So you don't have children yourself. You have everybody else's children. Everybody's, I don't have children, but children. I'll say this. When that video came out, all of my friends that do have children, it was a powerful thing. They were texting me saying, thank you so much for yes, this. My husband, my husband and I may not have been paying attention as much. We see this now. We understand. We have a neighbor who's having a problem with her teenagers. Now we, we're going to share this with them. And I said, oh, this repays me so much for never having my own children. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm your child. Like I, <laughs> I'm probably older than you, but I feel like, but you're yeah, honest to God. I'm going to be 48 in May. Oh, get out. Are you really? Yeah. 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 And it's my 30 year high school reunion this year, guys. Oh, uh, we were just talking about that. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> wow. God. I finally signed up for Facebook Messenger for the first time because I'm kind of afraid to use Facebook because there's so many imposters. And I feel like if I, do use messenger. People are going to think it's this fake and they're going to block my account. So I decided to sign up and I reached out to the group that's putting together my high school <laughs> reunion. This was during the Thursday night, horrible Cowboys game. And I was oh, chatting no. with people. and then a bunch of my friends sent me photos from high school and everybody was so warm and receptive. And I have not engaged and been back and I have not gone to any reunion. So now that I'm back on the East Coast, I can take the bus home to Easton more often and reconnect with everyone and hopefully do something really good for the school sports programs is what I hope to do. I hope nice. to raise some yes. money and go back for my reunion with a, an impactful visit and then become part of like, you know, a nice little fundraiser regularly to make sure that every student has the ability to play school sports because it is expensive for parents now and not every parent has the additional money. I was fortunate to be able to go to ski school every Thursday night, we would drive to the Poconos. We would, we did ski school and that was expensive for my parents. And so I look back at that and realize I still do ski and I want kids to have those opportunities. What, what do you think that you do that shocks people outside of like fantasy football talk? Um, that is so normal. Like you're excited about your 30 year reunion. What, what comes up time and time again that you're like, why are people shocked by me being human? I pretty much everything, you know, I feel that so much of the world doesn't see me as human. Um, and a lot of that is the internet, the accessibility to adult content. I'm sure that with the questions you asked, you got you were kind of a little bit shocked, but people I, I wasn't shocked, but it was just sort of like 
why even send it to me? It's not going to get through. Like I yeah. would never, I would never do this. Like this, you're just an idiot. And if I bring it up, I'm not going to give you a user, whatever your name is the time of day. So I think there's probably 10% of the world maybe that sees me as a human being that can even gravitate towards, look, I have 10,000 people on my YouTube. So that shows you 10,000 people. I have a million on, 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 on Twitter because they're hoping to see adult content. 10,000 people are interested in my actual life. Okay. That's real. I can break it down to that number. And so I think when people don't get it, they don't even hear me. They don't even see me. They don't even notice me. If it's not doing what they want and what they expect, then I'm irrelevant. I think um. I, I grew up. How does really that make you feel? I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but how does that make you feel? I'm a survivor. I am, but I'm a survivor. I was on my own young. Um, I was dancing with fake ID when I was 16 years old, taking care of myself. And so I always would tell myself, listen, Lisa, nobody knows your story and you have to take care of yourself and you have to be financially secure and you have to have a roof over your head. You have to take care of your future. Nobody's going to help you. I have no family that will help me. My family has never helped me. Um, so I've always just looked at it like, you know, ignore the naysayers. This is really about you being safe. This is really about you being secure and you just have to ignore it. And it just gives you a really thick, thick, thick skin. Um, and I just have to just say the only people that matter are the people that will engage in a conversation with me that is somewhat normal. That's incredible. It blows that you even yeah. have like you're you were born with that inner strength. I, I think that's incredible. I try to give that to my kids every day I can. And I don't know if I'm getting through because I don't, because that's just something you're born with, right? Like that's, O'Malley has that too. She's the same way. Like you guys are incredible to me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you. I, I feel, I, I still have, I have guilt for every little thing I've ever done wrong every which way, like with my kids or whatever. So I carry that around with me. Like it's like, <laughs> it, it definitely bogs me down. That's if I was, if I were to like start really practicing how you um, how you live with the 75%, I would probably have to start with like guilt. <laughs> so, so let me, like let me say something to you about guilt. Okay. <laughs> awful. We can, we can all carry guilt, but I want you to look at guilt. Like those two suitcases I had in Italy, the more yeah. guilt you carry, the heavier your day-to-day -day movement is. And I'll tell you what changed me. I won a contest. So I owned a day spa in the nineties. And it was after 9-11. I, I was stranded on a road trip. I came back. A girl was going out of business. I bought her day spa. I ran it for four years. So when I had that day spa, I was at a spa event and I entered this contest to win a event with Deepak Chopra. And I luckily won. So I get to go to this two-day seminar where he's speaking in front of us. And the very first thing he does is he has us all hold our breath. He says, hold your breath. And he walks around the room and he says, is it getting uncomfortable? Is it getting uncomfortable? And he says, let it go. And everybody exhales. And as everybody exhales, he says, that is how you have to live your life. Because if you hold on to things, whether it be guilt, whether it be whatever you're carrying, you are holding that back. you got to let it go. And that seminar changed me. It was at a great age. I became really more open-minded and it really helped me say like, Today, I'm going to forgive myself for the mistakes I made yesterday, and I'm just going to keep going, okay? And, and, and that's, you have to let go of it because you, you're, you're not in control of it. It's, we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And carrying guilt is so 
so, so heavy. Oh. Let it go. Let it yeah. go. <laughs> I'll work on that this week. <laughs> Top of my to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I was like, I was getting, I had like a point and then of course I was like, oh, you know, like what you were talking about with, with being able to, to cut down. And I was like, wow, what would I cut down first? And my first thought was guilt. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of a crazy, crazy thing. So you were um, asking her about the human people treating her and like she's yeah. a human, seeing her as a human, because I just floored that people would actually not like, once they don't get from you what they want, they don't see you as that way anymore. Like that yeah, so I, blew my I, mind. I think what's changed the most probably over the last say 10 years is um, ownership. So because these guys build a fake relationship with me on the internet, when they get to have a moment with me, like there was years upon my life where I loved feature dancing. I loved performing. I loved buying the costumes and putting the music together and going on stage and being at these clubs and having fun and watching everybody have fun. You could see it in your face that you're having a ball. I was having a blast. But then it became when I would do my meet and greet, every guy would be like, how much does it cost to have sex with you? And I was like, okay, listen, that's like saying you're in a local softball team, but you want to start taking pitches from Max Scherzer. Like you just wouldn't do that. Okay. Like what? And I would try to make light of it. Like I was in the Olympics of sex with Olympians. Why would you want to have sex? You know, and it became right. Guys would actually argue with me. I mean, I I think you're a prostitute. They just right away discredit. Yeah. That's just ignorant. I've probably been spit in my face a hundred times over it. And it can be anywhere. It can be anywhere that I, because a guy will then argue with me. Well, you take money for sex on camera. And I'm like, yeah, but that's different. I'm providing, I'm in a safe place. I choose my performer. Like here, I justify this, right? I answer all these questions. But you're still a whore, they say to me. And what, 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 why, saying that to, what would, uh, to my face, to my face. And I mean, <sighs> luckily, this didn't start till 10 years ago when I was already in my mid 30s. But if this would have been in my 20s, I would have just started carrying knives and slashing people because I was yeah. a pretty violent young girl. <laughs> and, you know, I had to really defend myself at some clubs where every girl carried a gun and every girl had a weapon. So, you know, I lived that life in North Philly for a while. And I was calm enough. And at that time I always had security with me and I would be able Thank to give God. him a signal. Yeah. We, we had a sing, we had a signal. Like it would it'd be like, I would say cotton candy. And he knew that mean to come in and remove the guy from my, my space <laughs> or tumbleweed. Like we would just have these silly, cause I wanted to make light of it, but it became so repetitive and I get it everywhere I am now. Like I'll get it. I'll go to a, like, I don't like to go to games anymore unless I have a group of people with me. Cause if I'm even at a basketball game, guys will come up and they will be a little bit drinking and they'll start to argue with me. And then they'll be like, well, you're a useless whore. I can't believe you want to have sex with me. What the fuck? You know? And I'm just like, I just don't want to have sex with you. Like there's no amount of money that makes me want to have sex with you. Like, why can't you just, it's a choice. Like it's not something. And I, I use this analogy. I'm not a sneaker. You don't just go and purchase me and wear me when you want to. I'm not, I'm a human being that is not for sale, but it's actually tarnished my love for entertaining in the adult business, even down to camming. You know, I decided I was going to do an experiment and I was going to do camming once a week. I'm like, you're not on the road anymore. Let's see if you, you like camming, get to masturbate on the internet for one hour a week. Why not do this, right? This could be super fun. This gets my outlet of my sexual thing. And I spend the whole hour, I feel like a teacher in a disruptive classroom. I spend the whole hour having guys argue with me that I will not have sex with them. Oh my God. And it's I guess exhausting. That's their fantasy, right? Like their fantasy is like the, like the anger part. Maybe they're I, yeah. it out. 
Yeah, but they're just like, and then and then they go through the why. And like, and then they go through the same thing. And when you're repeatedly told that you're a worthless whore and it's stupid that you won't take money for sex, eventually you kind of don't want to cam, right? You kind of don't want to do adult events, right? You kind of don't want to be like, I'm constantly scolding. Even down to this last year where I went back to shooting, I just finished the year. I'm not going to shoot anymore. And I realized that now the girls are working with so many of these madams and these madams find out who they're working with. And I seem to be the commodity that everybody is willing to give these girls a ton of money up front. Some girls have been offered as much as 25,000 up front to just get my contact to, to, to do this for this madam. Right. So I find myself on set and I'm doing a scene where it's like a, a boy, girl, girl scene. So there's another girl in the makeup chair and the girl will spend the entire hour. We're sitting there asking me what my problem is and why I don't escort and asking me why I think I'm better than everybody else and asking. And meanwhile, then after we're done with makeup, I have to have sex with this girl. Right. So meanwhile, in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, I need to go get antibiotics because she probably escorts without a condom. And now I'm at risk. Right. So like in my mind, I'm being an adult and I'm just like, But I said to the last girl that asked me, I said, is your life better than mine? Like, are you happier than I am? She's like, what does that have to do with it? I go, it has everything to do with it. The steps that we take in life to earn an income, to provide us with security are also the steps that we take in life that are our choices of happiness. And I just don't feel selling my soul alone with a stranger in a room would make me feel good. It would scare me. I don't even like to go on dates. Like I'm scared of people. So why would I want to be at the Holiday Inn with some random guy? And so we went back and forth and I said to her, well, honestly, I've never been able to come up with a price um, that seems worth it. So, and I try to joke about it, but it became toxic to me. It became this, like, these girls don't understand what I'm trying to say to them and that they're jeopardized. And it's not legal, people. Let's also remember it's not legal, but it burned me out and it, and it became like, okay, I get it. No one understands me. I don't fit in here anymore. Yeah. There's, it's like, they have no self-worth. Yeah. Like, it makes that? me like, sad. It is. It makes it's me very sad, sad for them. I worry about them a lot and I try to talk a lot of girls out of it. And I spent endless hours explaining to girls why I worry about them. But the, the adult entertainment, I think is honest to God. I think it's wonderful. Like I think if it's used the right way, like anything else, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a vehicle to happiness, you know, like sure, you can, sure. you use it as the tool that it's supposed to be used for. Everything works out fine. But the girls you're talking to that are saying stuff like this in a different setting, I see the same thing on the school sidelines. Like there's no, like they're empty shells. Like they don't, for some reason, I don't know if it's the parents. I don't know if it's the, um, access to the internet and the computers are making them numb, but they're, they don't have that, that inner um, self awareness to make themselves be, to think of themselves as, as temples, you know? And I've always believed that that a one-on-one experience, anything alone should be special. So that's another reason that I try to express them. Like it's different when you're on set, you're creating a product, a ton of people are going to get a job over it. You got your editors, you got your art creators for the packaging. You've got a lot of people that are working because you're working. And to me, that was gratifying being at a club and knowing that I'm filling a club and all the house girls walk up to me and say, we make so much money when you're here, Lisa, thanks for coming. That brought me value. 
uh, to be alone with a stranger would bring me no value. So it's not always about the money. And I remember my last dance gig, as I was picking up a dollar on a stage, a guy was like, how much does it cost to have sex with you? And I looked at him and I go, would I be picking up dollars on a stage if I was selling myself for sex? Like, do you not see this? Yeah. Like what? And he just looked at me like I was crazy. And I realized like, I am trying to rationalize here and it's not working. <laughs> but I bet in a, um, but you have like, you have so much fun doing it. You can see just in your face, even talk like the ones that you're, that you, cause I watched some of the other YouTube videos also. Yeah. Like, first of all, I would love to be able to shake my ass like that. I would give anything to be able like to have that confidence, you know, like even in like when I was in my twenties and I had like a, like, you know, a kick-ass body just because I, you know, 20, unless you're, unless you are, you know, you, it's, it's impossible for a 20 year old to not sure. have a good body unless they sure. work at it. So when I sure. see myself back then, like I never had that confidence and I, I can't believe, first of all, I can't believe you're 48. Like that just blows my mind. <laughs> and I just like, I want the confidence to do that just, just in front of my husband, just to push the girls up and like, be like, you know, like I ha- like, we have our like level of co- like comfort with each other but I want to know how you get that confidence like I want to instill that in everybody I can it's so much fun to watch like you you know like you're on stage prancing around it's it's a lot of fun and you can see that like you can see that you enjoy that yeah where does that come from well, it was a slow start. I started in bikini contests. Then I went to a bikini bar where it's like a go-go dancer thing. And I just realized I felt very comfortable in the environment. Then I went topless. And then by the time I was 18 with legit ID, I was able to go to a nude club, which was in Reading, Pennsylvania. And I realized like, if I can do this, I should do this because not everybody can do this. No, so it, was more of, it was more of a process of elimination. I'm like, this isn't freaking me out. I'm making X amount of dollars. I can set up my future. Like, get in, like you're doing this. Right. So yeah, I just enjoy it though. Like you're like, you're really good at it. And that is like a craft. Like if you, I, I love that. I wish I was that good at something. And now I've realized that my passion is radio, you know, and now I realize I really enjoy connecting on the airwaves. Now I realize I really enjoy talking and that talking probably came from having to negotiate with drunk people <laughs> naked at all times, because when you can negotiate naked with drunk people, I believe yeah. you can do anything. Okay. It's human manipulation. You can manipulate a situation for your self-preservation and that's yeah. huge. Yeah. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember so, you saying once you were, you, that's where you um, tapped into football because yes. these guys would come at you with all these questions. Like, can I, you know, how much to fuck you and stuff like that. And you'd be like, you know, what about that game? Like, did you, and yeah. then you would start talking football with them. And that's, a, that's a craft in itself, having that conversation manipulation capability so that you can make it work for you. And I, I, I love that. I learned sports teams by being on the road. And when I'd get into the hotels, you know, back in the day, we didn't travel with laptops. Mm -hmm. Um, I would sneak, by the way, I snuck into every single free seminar at like every holiday. And like Stephen Covey would be doing a speech at 2 p.m. They'd have the little board with those letters that used to pop in. I know you remember. And and I would be like, oh, I'm going to sneak in there at 2.05 because I have nothing to do. 
Well, at that time, each hotel had about eight channels and one was ESPN. So I would study each team, each local team in each city. And I remember the first time I went to Pittsburgh, everyone there wears their Pirates hats. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I can talk to them about the Pirates. So I would only talk to guys that were wearing sports gear because I felt like I could kind of push the conversation a bit and we could engage like eye to eye, right? And it worked. And so I started doing it city by city. And what did I realize? I, I, I built this little wealth of understanding the sports worlds, knowing that in Pittsburgh during hockey season, no one shaves until after the playoffs. So everyone looks different <laughs> after the playoffs. So they'd come in one night with a beard and the next night be like a whole new crowd. Um, and it, it gave me something to follow, something to learn, something to live for. Being on the road as a young girl was very lonely. I didn't get to travel with security. I was alone. Back then, our gigs were five and six days long. So you'd get in on Monday, you'd be there till Sunday. You know, that was lonely with no internet, guys, you know? So you'd study, you'd you'd memorize the loop on ESPN, you'd watch the news, you'd sneak into some conferences. I mean, I visited almost every zoo in the United States. I saw every (laughs) single tourist attraction. I've been to Graceland every time I've been to Memphis. Um, Because I would just go to the front desk where they had that little wooden case with all the the pamphlets Mm -hmm. and while I'd be checking in with the manager from the club and in the hotel I'd be grabbing all the pamphlets and I'd be like okay let's see if I can pay somebody that works at the club to drive me to the zoo today let's see if I can do this and I I made it work you know and and it, it taught me about the U.S. I got to eat a lot of different food I got to see a lot of different things and it made me feel like I had a purpose other than taking my clothes off. And there's no, honest to God, that's like the most human thing I've heard somebody say. Yeah. And the fact that people don't see you as that sometimes is like, I mean, you're getting into their mind. You're getting to know their behaviors. You're learning how to communicate and direct. There's nothing more human than that. You know, this experiment of going back into the business after I left, um, was really good for me because I learned something about life. Uh, and the reason I'm, I moved back to New York city and left Los Angeles is because The most inspiring people I've ever met are here in New York City. Uh, My boss at Fantasy Sports Radio, Matt Deutsch, the fact that he gave me this opportunity in 2013 uh, and and was open-minded about it. I was still feature dancing then. I was in the business then. And I was going to get to talk fantasy sports and meeting everybody at Sirius. And people looked at me like I was a human, like everybody in that building looked at me like I was human. I, I meet everybody at Barstool when I get to visit and they look at me like I'm human. And so this little experiment of having these weird conversations, but yet knowing there's this other world that I finally got introduced to at an older age was breathtaking to me. And I realized like, whoa, if I minimize my life and simplify, I'm going to move back to that magnetic force. And I finally in my life realized that people matter more than anything. I never had these types of relationships. I've never had people since I was 16 years old, look at me like I was a human being. Even my own parents don't look at me like I'm a human being. So like, there's so much of me being isolated that when I went back and experimented and then sat with my own thoughts, I I was like busted up in tears over it because I realized, whoa, you've had this breakthrough. You finally realized that you need to be around people that make you feel human. Feels good, doesn't it? Oh my gosh. It's just, it's fantastic. It's, it's life-changing. It really, really is. I tear up right now just telling you about it, but I'm so grateful that I've had this opportunity that Sirius gave me this gig 
I mean, that's in itself is unbelievable because my own parents told me I was never going to get a job doing anything ever. Um, my own parents have never listened to one of my shows on Sirius. I asked them multiple times and, um, you know, so all of those things combined made me feel kind of worthless. I want to ask two questions. I know they're going to be totally different. Um, but before I forget, I want to know, like, you know, what, what this transition is, is going to open up for you and, you know, what's, what's next. And, um, also how do you, um, do you have a plan or do you just have hope or, or, or do you just kind of like, let it, let it be, but you're, you're saying, you know, like the things with your parents, um, you're obviously in some sort of touch with them because you're asking about, um, even if it's the last five years, um, about like them listening to those, uh, serious shows. Um, is there, do you see any pathway for, you know, healing that, that severed relationship or, you know, like what, what do you think has, um, you know, for people that you've seen in the industry, I'm sure you've seen this time and time again, it's happened to you. Um, you've overcome so many things and this is just so weird to me to have you be so amazing. And yet your parents are making you even emotional today, just talking about it. So, so I'm going to answer the second one first. Um, (laughs) I, I, I really took some time and in writing my next book, uh, I was able to really track down things like example, has my dad ever visited me anywhere I've lived ever? No. Okay. Uh, has my mom visited me and how many times I can count them on one hand. Um, she did want to get a facelift in 2013. I took a month off. She came out to California. I took care of her. I took her to a doctor. We stayed in Laguna beach. It was amazing. And so all of these this list of things I realize my parents have never understood me. They've never taken the time to realize every child needs to be loved differently. And I've made an effort more than they'll ever make an effort for me. And when Peggy passed away, uh, six months later, my grandfather passed away. And those were the two people that I came back to Easton, Pennsylvania to visit the most. And my very last visit was after both of them passed away and it felt so different. I was like, Oh, I have nothing here. Like I don't, my parents made me feel bad about myself and my existence always. Even when my mom and I were having a nice visit, she would throw some dig at me how disappointed she is, how disappointed my family is, what a bad look it is. And, and it was destructive. And I would take the bus. You know, I lived in New York part-time 2013, 2016. And that was a time where Peggy and my grandfather were both in nursing homes. So I would always take the bus from Port Authority to Easton, you know, every weekend I'll go back and I'd see them. And I would end up crying the entire bus ride home because my mom would always get one more dig in while she dropped me off at the bus station. And that last visit I had, which was very turbulent in August of 2015, um, My parents were so ashamed of me. So, you know, they lied to me when my grandfather died because they didn't want me present at the funeral. And I found out from someone coming to me and saying, why weren't you at your grandfather's funeral? I mean, you took the bus home and visited him at like every weekend for three years. Like what, what, what was the point of that? And I'm like, well, I didn't know he died until just yesterday. And I realized from gathering all that, writing a chapter about this process that I have to let it go. I can't force that because it was more destructive to me 
then it was helpful for me. And I felt better about myself within six months to a year after not going back. And now that I want to go back to see friends and reconnect with people and reconnect with my hometown, I want to do that, but I don't want to do it with my family. Um, because for the 2013 to 2015, every time Sirius had a free trial, I would email it to my mom and say, Hey, it's a free trial. You can listen to some of my shows. Here's a link. Da, da, da. And when they never did it repeatedly. And then we had that last visit and I really, I mean, I, I cried for months. Okay. Um, and I was able to like really think it through and think, is this productive in my life? Are you forcing yourself on your family? Are you trying to be in a relationship that they don't really want to be in with you? Obviously, they're clearly embarrassed of me. Obviously, I made mistakes. Guilt, I understand it. I carry guilt. I probably shouldn't have done this for a living. Yes, it hurt my family, but my family wasn't there for me. And this is the first time I've been able to be honest with myself and say, you did what you had to do to make sure that you weren't in an abusive relationship with a guy who could support you, to make sure that you weren't in a bad living situation, or I didn't do anything illegal. I wasn't selling drugs, but I couldn't make ends meet as a young girl with car insurance, car payment, and anything working at a diner, you know? So I did what I had to do. And I finally accepted that. So on the path of, of rekindling, I would never deny my family if they reached out to me. I would never do that. That's just not, that's just not who I am. Um, but as for me making an effort, I think I've made enough of an effort. And I know that I'm a lot more confident replacing the negative family that I had with a positive family that I've built between friendships, between even coworkers. I mean, my co-host on my Monday night show and I are like brother and sister. He's completely replaced the evil brother that I had. So I've been able to carpent, you know, make it a little compartments in my mind where I say to myself like, hey, this isn't ideal, but you find love where you can. And if the other love was destructive and toxic and made me abuse myself more and made me feel bad about myself more, then why would I want to be gravitating towards that? So I've let it go. I found peace with it. My very last visit with my dad was very special to me. And it will probably be the last one um, because he and I walked over to the cemetery to see Peggy together. And it was our first time walking over together. And I knew the way because I walked over with Peggy all the the time because she would put fresh flowers on her husband's grave. So her yard touched my dad's yard. And so I just remembered the walk over with her. And when my dad and I walked over there in that moment, I said to myself, this is most likely going to be the very last conversation you ever have with your dad. This is going to be probably the last time you're ever home visiting your family. Like this is kind of awesome that it's with Peggy at her grave. And now when I go home to see my friends, I want to go to the cemetery and see her on my own, you know? And so I, I am at peace with that. But again, if they reached out to me, I would never deny it, but I don't want it to be destructive. What this transition has opened up for me is it's allowed me to understand who I want to be. I want to be kind to the people that are kind to me. I want to be helpful to those who can't help themselves. I want to be less selfish and more giving. Um, and I want to be more present and mindful. So by having less stuff to manage and by having less financial responsibility, I can be more present and mindful. I want to work harder. I want to make my bosses, you know, I want to excel all the time. I want to study more. I'm always trying to stay on top of what I'm doing with fantasy sports, with sports in general. And I want to always be reliable, early, you know, all of the things. I want to make my producer's life early. I just want people that are around me to know that I'm committed, that I'm present, 
and that I want to make, I want to be partners with them. Nobody is beneath me in a work relationship or we're all partners. My producer and I were partners, you know? And so I, I just want to keep that going. That tradition, that transition that I'm making and that I've made has opened me up to the reality of how you really make things work in this world. You work together. You work as a team, you do everything you do and you take every step you can with love. And, and, and that's really where I'm at. And as for my five-year plan, I'll be releasing my new book in the next year, maybe two, depending how long it takes for them to shop it. Um, and from that book, I hope to travel to more places and really raise everyone's mind, open people's mind about the understanding that porn is not sex. Porn is great when you have sex, but porn should not be your outlet for sex. We have a lower birth rate than we've had in the U.S. in a long time. Teenagers are having less sex than ever, which could be good, but could be bad as well. And I want more people to feel the connection of holding hands and not holding their phones, making eye contact and not looking down at their phone. I just want to help share a present and mindful message that is just really loving. And I want people to really look at me just like that big sister that's had a lot of experience that they can speak to about anything they want. Wow. I love it. I mean, you definitely, <laughs> I tell you what, you definitely trusted the process because it and definitely worked for you. And I think it's, in, it's in, absolutely incredible to listen to your journey. Like even to the point where you say like, you know, like you even say like you probably shouldn't have gone into that industry, but I don't think you'd be who you are if you hadn't like, you're just, I think, I think every area that you go into or every situation you come out on top. And I think it's, it's wonderful. It really, it's, it's, it's definitely motivational for someone like me who um, has trouble with achieving goals, you know, again, you know, with that, with young people I do that are interested. A lot of people reach out to me on social media. A lot of young girls reach out to me and I'm always in the DM with young girls and, and with girls. I have a lot of female fans and friends that will come to me and ask me questions about things. And I ask them, you know, let's talk about your family and let's talk about the impact that this has on other people because it's something at that age, I was too young and selfish to consider. And so by opening their mind, I just want them to be aware. So they're not blindsided by it. Mm -hmm. I want them to hopefully have the conversation. And what's beautiful in the business now is there's so many young performers that have their parents support that, that are there for them that still love them. And it makes me so happy when I get to talk to these girls and like my parents understand as long as I don't, get wrapped up in drugs. And as long as I don't fall into the lifestyle and they're going to be checking in with me and, and I see it and it makes me just filled with so much joy because there's no reason for a parent to not love their child. No. I agree. 100%. I do. I, 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 it's, you know, like you kind of have to think of it almost in a vacuum. Like they probably, your parents might've been that way with you regardless of what you went into. Right. Like, mm -hmm. you, like you'll yeah. never know, but that could just be their issue on their own, independent of you. And I think the way you the way you turned out, I know that sounds like such a motherly thing to say. And, you know, we're so close in age, but you turned out beautifully. Like you, and I think you have you know, every I think reason to be proud of, the, of who you are, because I think you're incredible. I think that, you know, one thing I realized with my mom, now my mom quit me the first time when I was 13, she dropped me off at my grandmother's house. She was mad at me one day. My brother had set me up for disaster and uh, we didn't speak again until I was 24. And in that time frame, which was really hard, um, I, I really realized a lot later. So when my mom came to stay with me during her surgery, I realized she was a little bit resentful. And I said, mom, you know, I think that you're resenting me because you realized that I raised myself and I did okay. 
You did and great. Said, you did a lot better is, than okay. Is, yeah, this is a conversation that we Crushed should have. Yes. And I said to her, so you know, parents are just people. There's no handbook. And so I've forgiven you and everything that's gone wrong in any situation. You didn't have it easy. My dad didn't give you child support. You struggled. I get it. There's a lot that happened. Like I'm adult now. I get it. This conversation was when I was in my forties and she still took it as a slight on her. And she oh, yeah. almost couldn't face the fact that I was going to keep this job with serious and that I was going to succeed in any way, shape or form in life. I think my parents would have been happier if I was either a junkie or I committed suicide by now. <sighs> That's that my reality. You know, I think it's, it's very, you know, adult of you to accept that and understand that and be able to put that in a compartment and say, that's how it is with them. But it's also so heartbreaking for a little girl to feel that way about her mom and dad. It is. You know, it's, like it's, 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 it's never easy. It's, it's always no. painful. It's, it's, it's hard. It's definitely hard because you think like, I don't have kids, but I imagine carrying one for nine months, you kind of have a connection with it. Like, how is this even possible? But then again, it's human nature and we're yeah. all flawed. We're all flawed and, and I accept everyone's flaws and I'm thankful that I came out on top. Well, you definitely, I mean, how are you going to celebrate this, you know, completing the process now that, that you, that you completed, I mean, especially earlier than your deadline, how are you going to celebrate it? Oh, just getting settled in my new apartment is going to be incredible. I just can't wait to start cooking again and having friends come visit. And I'm so much closer to so many of my friends that live in Philly and taking the train. I also want to be able to go to the DC studios more often and just take lunch into the producers and become more closely connected. I'm going to celebrate it by building stronger relationships. I think that's great. So O'Malley and I had done this thing once before. Um, last week we had uh, we had a bunch of guests on. It was like our Thanksgiving. I loved it. It was great. Oh, thank Lisa, you. actually, we were talking about this. She 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 texted me. What was it like? Um, a portion. I think you were listening to Danny Boy at the time, or or was maybe uh, through the Wolfpack guys. And she was like, "How has nobody said blank?" And I said, "Just wait, just wait. There's somebody that does say something similar." So, so it was going back. <laughs> 15 minutes in time and I yes really I was just was, gonna ask you yours that's that's like our podcast question now for like everyone <laughs> it's a great question and you know what you raised a great point with Robert Kardashian that I've, my friends of mine have talked about we always felt that it was the guilt of that court case that really affected yes. his health yes 100 percent yeah really did but for me I was surprised that nobody wanted to go back to the first 15 minutes that they were born Except large in the in yeah, my the husband, waiting room with his <laughs> with his dad, he was like, "I don't want to be to see his dad." Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be there. I just want to be in the waiting room with my dad. And he wanted and, to see his dad's reaction. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I didn't choose that one. Like, I just. I don't I know. I don't. I, parents at that at that point in their life, I wanted to see my mom with that level of joy. I wanted to see my dad. Now, my parents were arguing over a name. Um, my dad wanted to name me uh, Stephanie, and my mom wanted to name me Louise. Oh. I'm so glad it didn't happen because my father's about five two, very much like George Jefferson in a sense, and he would have been calling me Wheezy, and I would have not <laughs> liked that. So, my grandfather was like a, a code word. You could add his walk to the stage dance. Yes. My grandfather was the greatest man I ever met. And, you know, Large has a lot of his characteristics. Um, and my grandfather taught me not to be afraid to be a girl. So he wanted me to learn my way around a toolbox. He made me change a tire. I changed my own oil. Mm -hmm. I can fix anything in my house. Plumbing. My grandfather always said, you will not be afraid to be a girl. And I give him a lot of credit 
for going behind everyone's back and naming me Lisa um, because he didn't like Stephanie or Louise either. And so I just would have loved to be there for that chaos because I was nameless for quite some time. And my parents were already arguing over the name. And I would have just loved to seen my grandfather going behind everyone's back and just handling like he always would and giving me my name. I love that. And how did he do that? Did he just go and sign the birth certificate? Or did, yes, he would, did. Yes, that's what yeah, I thought. I was like, <laughs> that's hysterical. That's how you had to do it. Like that's, you had to, and, and there wasn't a lot of questions back no, then. No, no, no. I mean, he was such so a charming funny. man. He was 6'4". Yeah. He was incredibly charming. He was a World War II photographer. And before he passed away, um, you know, he had dementia. So I studied uh, dementia. You see, I do a lot of work for Alzheimer's sure. research. And what I learned was if you bring in things from their past, mm-hmm. they can easily remember. So I grabbed a bunch of his war photos and took them wow. into the nursing home. And he would tell me, and the writing was perfect on the back, you know, 1945 in Germany, uh, the fellow next to me, like the words that they used were very different. And so we would go through all of these photos and he gave me these photos before he passed away. And he would take selfies of himself opening my grandmother's mail. And then he would write her love letters on the back (sighs) of these selfies. And I was like, oh my gosh, Pa, like you don't realize that we're taking selfies now as a thing. But he would set it up on a tripod. He would have his hair done. He was so dapper. And you know, all her mail, she would write him a letter every day. So he'd get about, he'd get his mail once or twice a month. And he had 15, 20 letters and he'd open them and he'd take these photos. And he did this and then he gave me these. So going back through that, I was like, yeah, there's no doubt he was charming enough with a nurse where he was like, I'm handling this. Her name is going to be Lisa. Her middle name is going to be Anne and that's going to be that. And it got handled. So I got the name I like. I mean, I liked Stephanie too, but I went to school with a lot of Stephanies. It was a very common name that, that yes, generation. Yes, it was. It definitely, I love Heather that. and Stephanie was huge. Yes. My two best you friends know. were Heather and Stephanie. That's so funny. I <laughs> well, we're all that. in that same like kind of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, grouping of, of age. So yeah, that was definitely a huge, huge. I name. think it's a riot that you say that large is so much like your grandfather because I wanted Mary Jean. And when okay. I gave, we didn't know what Bridget was. So okay. like, there was like a lot of, there was a problem in her delivery and stuff like that. So I was not aware of half the stuff that was going on the second half. And um, he wanted Bridget. And when they brought her in, I like, a, you know, six hours later, I was able to see the baby. They're like, here's your little Bridget. I'm like, who? <laughs> <laughs> he just took control and would just completely, you know, isn't that funny? Me so he, is, he is like yeah. him. He is like <laughs> him. And you know, there's history you learn about your family when you're, when you're dealing with dementia, right? And one thing I yeah. never knew was I never knew that my grandfather changed his last name because my grandmother was afraid. He had such an Italian name. His first name was Tulio. Um, my That's dad's awesome. name is Plagido. And she wanted him to have an Americanized name because they were going to start a business together. And so he changed his name to Thomas. And so all these things I didn't know until we were in this nursing home experiment for three years. And I learned like so much. It was the, it was the greatest reason to live in New York and put my life on hold was to take that bus back and, and learn more about my family. And I got it all from him with clarity, even though I, I knew better than to ask him what he had for breakfast because he would get very upset when he couldn't remember the immediate of course, the frustration right? right you don't do that to someone that's dealing with memory loss 
you go back to a place where they're comfortable. Uh, and, and it was beautiful to do that. And when he showed me this, I'm like, what? And it made sense because all the love letters were signed Love Tulio. And I was like, oh, this is just starting to make so sense cute. now. Okay, thank you. Oh, but that's so true. That was a time that yeah. like, your name meant, you know, something like my my mom will talk about her grandparents and being Irish and not able to get work. And yes, um, they, they just couldn't do it. And she, she, I don't know why, but uh, well, I do know why, but she got her ancestry, you know, done and she looked at it and there was like so much, like that was a sign to being Celtic, but there was another, um, uh, another region that she didn't know about that was on there. That was, you know, not as prominent, but right. somewhat prominent. And she said, if, if anyone had known, yeah, might have been able to say, oh, no, we're something and, you know, used it. And she goes, I don't even know. She goes, I don't even know. Life would have been completely different. But they were so dirt poor because they had absolutely nothing because it was no Irish need apply type stuff. And well, it, a little funny story. As an Italian, I married someone who was Irish. I was married in my 20s. We're still friends. We speak on our wedding anniversary and birthdays and holidays. Um, he was a great part of my life and not all relationships work, but I'm sure glad I had that one. And uh, he's my only guy I ever lived with, my only long-term relationship. So I'm not real experienced. Um, <laughs> and I remember my stepmom saying to me, well, you know, when you write letters to your dad, you need to use your Italian last name. And I said, well, why? He knows I got married. He didn't come to the wedding, but he knows I got married. And she goes, well, you know, the Italian hate the Irish. I was like, we're still living in this world. I said, this is insanity. These are the people I'm dealing with. Like, what? Okay. Okay. I'll just put my initials oh my on this. God. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Isn't that? I know. And one of my really good friends, he's literally right down the board, half Italian, half Irish. Both, both sides are off the boat type yeah <laughs> the parents got together divorced but he is like right down the middle so I think and Italians yeah. and Irish make beautiful children <laughs> maybe that's because I'm all Italian and my husband's all Irish I don't know but <laughs> I think it's a great combo you know but yeah. when you look at those minor things like when I was writing that chapter about my family it was little moments like that that made me realize these people are not open-minded enough to, to understand me so if they're still held up on some Irish Italian stuff, right, then oh, obviously oh, yeah. they mm -hmm. do not understand their daughter, the exotic dancer. OK, <laughs> let's just let's yeah. just lay that out there. OK, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have you teach me some stuff. I'm okay. honest to God. I'm going to when you get settled, I'm going to come to where you are. I'm going to come to your mm -hmm. apartment. I'm not going to tell large and I'm going to have you teach me some stuff. Just and set gonna up be a hole in the other, the other spot. And What's like that? This, you need to get that. It's like the exercise for the yeah, break you get on. Much. Is that's it? You see, I would just, fall on my ass. An, I, I would never just, be able to do it. I have an elegant striptease. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. an elegant striptease. And I'll let, you, I'll let you take me shopping to show me what I can buy. This is a woman who bought a jump rope a few weeks back and she has been jump roping. I it's good exercise. It's I won't go walking because it's too cold. I, I hate the cold and I don't like gyms. I just, I just she don't. She wiggles in like her chair to like do Swivel in my chair, the swivel chair so I get my hips. So that's the only reason I brought up that because I know like the core strength is like amazing uh, to have that. But yeah, no, but. Well, I don't want to oh, kill him. Yes. He is, he's, he's going through a, you know, a physical change health wise. So I don't want to kill him. 
That's right. true. <laughs> I want to learn how to funny. do a few things. I got to tell you, I think it was Alaska that really made me realize, like, I missed the cold. I love walking in the cold. So the other day, you know, the other day we had the snow last week. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it Thursday or Friday? So I was like, oh, my gosh, it's snowing. It was kind of (laughs) raining, too, which made it wasn't as fun. But I took myself to Central Park. I was one of the very few. Uh, I was bundled up, but I made the whole walk by myself. And I was, like, so happy to be covered in snow. Well, I will be waiting for you when you get back from yeah. that pool. <laughs> I'll have, you know, I'll, bring, I'll I'll have him bring cook something and I'll bring it because we don't want me cooking some. Oh, no, I'll meat. cook. I oh, love to cook. And my friends lo- know that I love to cook for them. So I had the, I had four girlfriends stay with me last Christmas in L.A. I it was so that. cool. It was like a big slumber party for a week and no one got off the couch. I was waiting <sighs> on everyone. I got to make all this different food. It was so much fun for me. And I just I just enjoy it. It's the old school Italian in me. My grandmother, you, you're always manja, manja. There's always food in front of you. Everyone's bringing food out. You don't ask a guest to lift a finger. You do everything. And it's just very fun. I like it. That's awesome. So I got a question from someone on Twitter that I wanted to forward to you because I thought it was a great question. Um, It's from Ramely 80. And she said, I know Lisa Ann follows a plant based diet. Could she share a typical day of eating to keep her energy going throughout the day? She's looking to make the same transition. Okay, great. So my one hack is, you know, I do eat eggs because I believe that, you know, my doctor told me there's so many vitamins in the yellow that you're not going to be getting from eating meat. So the thing I will start my day with normally, uh, I like a soft boiled egg. I put it right inside an avocado. I eat a ton of avocados, one or two a day. Um, and the eggs. So then I'll also go to a smoothie, uh, banana, some protein powder, some vitamin C powder. I do a lot of my vitamins in powder form. So my stomach doesn't have to break down the vitamin, put them all in my smoothie. Um, for lunch, my kitchen always has things cooked. So I always have beans, uh, which by the way, you should soak your beans in water for 12 to 18 hours to remove the gases. Right. Then I put them in my Instapot, then I rinse them again then I put them in the fridge. So I get, I look at my beans as my meat. So there's always beans on a salad. I eat a lot of salads. I eat a lot of different meal preps. So if she wants to, she can go and bride the plant-based pasta, which it's made out of like soy. It's made out of like, uh, tomatoes. There's all these different pastas are called wow. And I'll pre-cook up uh, a box of those divide it into five or six different containers. And I'll put in like chickpeas, vegetables. I don't put anything in that's going to get soggy until I'm ready to eat it. So I just do the stuff that sits well. And then I have that ready. And then at night, you can take that same cold dish. You can put it into a skillet, a little bit of olive oil, some seasoning. And you got yourself a hot dish and you can just add different. Oh, where'd she go? I was I so intrigued. Oh, no. I got so excited thinking I could actually do this. I wanted to hear how it ended. Where did she go? Oh, I'm <gasps> there, there. I oh. got so nervous because I was so intrigued by you were talking about how you could heat the same same. <clears throat> Stuff okay, up in so a that's skillet with a little olive perfect. oil. Yep. yep. So you, you take the food prep and I, I'm a big, also when I went through this change, I got rid of plastics from my life. So I use glass containers for everything. I get, get my out. five gallon water. I, I put it in individual glass containers that I can then put in the dishwasher just to kind of minimize my carbon footprint, just to be making less trash. So using these glass containers, putting the pasta in there, some chickpeas, maybe some beans, peppers, because peppers don't get mm, soggy. And then you have your cold lunch because you throw that over some lettuce and add some tomatoes and maybe an egg that you had made earlier, avocado. Then at night, 
I throw it on this skillet, little olive oil, put it around, heat it up, make it different. You can even throw some tomato on there for some sauce if you want it to be like more of a pasta. But you'll realize that you're not sitting with food prep in the fridge for five days. You pretty much eat everything in two days because you're just eating it a multitude of different ways. And then my go-to nighttime snack is an organic popcorn and I will put different things on it. Like I love popcorn with rosemary. Um, I love to put sage on popcorn. I like to give it a different flavor and just make it exciting. So popcorn's a good go-to. Do you follow like a, um, a recipe book or do you just come up with that off the top of your head? I wing it. I wing it, but I grew up <sighs> I, I cooking. Love that. Yeah, I grew up cooking, so I wing it and I love it. I love just trying new things. And I also will look stuff up and, you know, man, with YouTube, you can learn to make anything. You you brought up um, the pastas, uh, plant-based and different, you know, I know that there's gluten-free. I know that there's amazing um, different pastas for different diets out there. Do you um, use any vegetable base? Like um, I use a lot of mashed and riced cauliflower and I also cook spaghetti squash and then run the fork through it um, I love it I love you? all of okay. that yeah, yeah I I've love all of that so shocked at how much I love it I love it so much you know I buy those pre-cut sweet potatoes because sweet potatoes can be so hard to cut mm-hmm. and they're in little cubes like at Whole Foods and so I put them in the oven to bake for like 45 minutes and they make me like little croutons for my salads. Oh, and, and you don't put oil on them because people make the mistake of wetting vegetables before they put them in the oven. They put olive oil on them. Well, oil and water don't mix and there's enough water in a vegetable. You want to dehydrate it a little bit. So I just put seasonings on and then afterwards you can put oil on them if you want to. But those end up being a little snack that I really enjoy to just eat plain or this. put in a salad. Yeah. I love this. I, <laughs> well, we had a, um, uh, I know I could go on with food. I, I, I like need, I like, yeah, like I'm in I just like listening to see now that's like porn for me. I know. Like, you guys I need talk to, about these vegetables. I need to beg her to come back on just to talk about all the other things we did. Well, have, you know what? When um, I get settled, I'm going to start shooting YouTube videos of my food prep because so many oh, people good. have asked me about it. So that was one of the reasons, like I was very specific about my kitchen and the lighting. Like <laughs> I kept good. telling you when I have to face East West, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I have to face East West. So I have natural lighting. I can't be messing with lights all day. I have to face East West. So um, I can shoot some cool stuff and show everybody how I do it and how simple and how inexpensive it is. I want to break it down to what it costs to make the items and then what each meal costs. Uh, no, I, I'm looking forward to that because I, uh, I have a different type of diet. So, um, I would love that. Um, one of your people that you, um, interact with, um, wanted to know, um, being a Cowboys fan, <laughs> how hard is it to root against your opponent when they are starting one or more of your favorite Cowboy players? Yeah, being a Cowboys fan, when my Cowboys faced the New England Patriots, what did I do? I played the Patriots defense against my Cowboys because I know all about my Cowboys. So that's the cool thing about fantasy football, fantasy basketball or baseball. If you have a team that struggles, you still get to love the sport. And so I've found that fantasy has made me less mad at the Dallas Cowboys because I can still have some fun with the sport. And I just roll with it. You know, I'm not trusting in a team just because I'm a fan. My 
my first year though playing, I will admit, I made the mistake of drafting a ton of Dallas Cowboys. I learned a very valuable lesson that I was heavy on a team that didn't produce and uh, I was drafting as a fan. Can't draft as a fan. And it hurts your bye week. I mean, yes. Like, kills your like bye that's, week. that's number one. Don't, don't do that. It kills mm-hmm. your bye week alone. So I'm sorry, Annie. No. <laughs> Annie's sorry. Like, what? No. <laughs> Next year, we're going to do a female league and it's going to be a small buy in and the winner's going to pick the charity of their choice. That was supposed to happen us. this year for us, Good. but oops. We'll do it. We'll do it because it gets us all to learn about 12 different charities. I want to do the draft in person so we can all talk about why the charity matters to each other and then yes. put it on our personal charity lists and get to know more about somebody you learn what affected someone's life. Was it breast cancer? Was it Alzheimer's? What was it? So, you know, it, it'll be positive and it'll get us engaged on a different level than just the nitty gritty of fantasy football. Oh yeah. Now, will that. you be going to any other, uh, I, I don't know how much you get into. I've always followed you or not followed, not always, but like few uh, years of uh, football fantasy. Do you get heavy into anything like March Madness? I know it's such a hard thing to get into because if you're not following, you know, that turnover rate with college. I do. I do brackets every year, but you know, I also do fantasy basketball and fantasy baseball. Uh, I learned my first year with the channel that the only way you can work all year is if you cover fantasy baseball. And a lot of people don't cover fantasy baseball. A lot of the fantasy football analysts, they take that two or three months off, which is great. It's a great off season for them. but I wanted this to be my real job. And you know, when I got this job, my best friend said something very interesting to me. She said, okay, you can either be a flash in a pan for one year contract, or you can get so good at this, they can't fire you. And she said, the only way you're going to get so good at this is to learn every single sport so that you can stay on air. And I was like, wow, you know what? She's right. I've got to get so good. They can't fire me. And that's what I did. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, baseball. I would love to do baseball again. I The last league I was in was years ago and it was awful. And Do you I, want I, to be in my league this yes. year? Because I had somebody that wants I to drop out. Love, I love, oh, baseball okay, is like my, my thing. O'Malley's going to need a cigarette. Every, I know, every, every, I know. Yeah. I'm going to use, I'm going to use. <laughs> And like, this is a strange thing. We just had Lisa Ann on and I'm going to go use a toy, not because we were talking about sex, but we were talking about baseball for a minute. (laughs) That's right. And you know, funny thing, I didn't study baseball. I didn't have any parents that were into baseball. My mom was a basketball mom. My dad loved football. But when I got into the industry and started going to Mets games with my co-host, Adam, I said, you know, I really want to learn baseball because I want to be on all year. And so I read all these books about baseball. When you know nothing, baseball seems boring. But when you learn about the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher, when you see the signs, it's so enthralling. So you and I are going to baseball games this year. Yes, yes. Oh, I can't wait till you and Glenny are Mr. and Mrs. Matt. That's just going to oh be. Oh my God, I can't so wait great. either. I'm He's so, so living for this. I'm so, <laughs> so living cute. for it. The fact that his friends and people used to tell him his mom had an affair with Mr. Matt and that's why his head was so big. I was like, this is kismet. This is Oh, he's so cute. They're so cute. All these little, these guys are like 20 and I, I say these things and like people are like, are you like, what, what's with you? And I'm like, they, these are children. Like yeah. I'm having fun. Like if you yeah. can't like lighten up and have fun with some of these guys, but it, it, that is so great. Like I listened to, you know, obviously a big barstool, but even starting nine with their baseball coverage, um, you know, people just like, if they're not baseball people, they 
they tend not to, you know, listen to something like right. that, but that is phenomenal what they're doing. Yep. Um, I just, I'm so happy that you do baseball too. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, you're in, you're in the league. It's a free league. It's bragging rights only, but it's for my show. So we'll have you on as a guest and we have a bunch okay. of fun people in the league. And you know, it's hard to find people that want to play fantasy baseball. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly it. That's, that's the thing. When you said that, I just about lit up. I'm like, that's yeah. the best news I've yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. Annie, aren't you excited? I can't wait. I got to read books now. Now I got to learn it. Um, I think, I think everything that you touch turns to gold. Really. You're, you're incredible to talk to. You're extremely motivational. And I, I just, I wish you all the luck in the world and I can't wait for you to cook for me and teach me a dance or two. <laughs> and I know I do. I you think know, you're I wonderful. All of your listeners understand one thing from this message from all three of us is that, you know, life is not perfect. And, you know, we all have to take what we have and be grateful for it. We get out of bed every day. That's something to be grateful for. And sometimes when it gets really dark, you have to go back to that gratitude list and say, I woke up this morning. I'm a healthy being. I have two working legs and arms. Like it is that simple. And I, when I see people are down, I just want them to always be able to just take a couple steps back and realize that it's, it's not as bad as you think. And that sometimes things like my family relationships Sometimes things don't work out like you hoped, you know, and that's just accepting it is a big step and knowing that it doesn't devalue you is the biggest step. Children.